0: You never quit working in God's kingdom until God says, come home, it's quitting time. When you say yes to following God, you must say no to everything that hinders you from following. Fellow students, if you would open your Bibles to First, Second uh, Kings, rather Second Kings, chapter two. Um, we're in a study in First and Second Kings for the next several months. These are historical narratives. We've mentioned this before that they're biographies of real people who lived in real time, made real decisions, lived real lives, and we are privy to those decisions and the consequences of those decisions, so we can. Use them by the power of the Holy Spirit to inform our decision-making. We can learn what to do, and probably equally important, learn what not to do. So today we're going to look at the final chapter in the life of one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, Elijah. God has used Elijah in many, many ways to combat idolatry and to call God's people Israel back to the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. Now, Elijah's ministry has been one of confrontation and opposition to evil, beginning, of course, with Ahab and Jezebel. He has been perpetually confronting the evils of his culture and calling the nation of Israel back to following the Lord. And he's now near the very end of his life, but God has a succession plan in place. We're going to take a look at that today. It's time for the baton to pass from Elijah to his disciple, Elisha. If you would be so kind, uh, 2 Kings 2, chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1, we'll begin the narrative. And it came about when the Lord was about to take Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he went down to Bethel. Here's the principle. You never quit working in God's kingdom until God says, come home, it's quitting time. You never quit working in God's kingdom until he says, come home, it's quitting time. Now, none of you, I assure you, have heard him say, it's quitting time. If he did, you would not be here, right? You would be in heaven. So the context is Elijah and Elisha have been working together now for about 10 years, about 120 months. And they have been partners in ministry. Elijah has been mentoring Elisha. We see this pattern often in Scripture. Moses worked together with his brother Aaron uh, for the better part of 40 years, and largely in the wilderness. David and Jonathan worked together, even though there were different generations. Jonathan was one generation older than David, and they encouraged one another in the kingdom. Paul worked first with Barnabas, and then Silas, both his same age, Timothy, the next generation, and the physician Luke. Our Lord sent out his, the twelve disciples, what? Two by two. So, it's a very, very strong pattern in Scripture. Once you'll notice, Elijah and Elisha are very different people. I mean radically different temperaments, different personalities. Elijah's tough, and he's confrontational. And Elisha is very gentle and very tender, but God put them together, and they worked together for a number of years to accomplish what God wanted them to accomplish. But now the time has come for Elijah to be taken, and it says taken in the whirlwind. He's talking about a, a windstorm, a literally a twister, right? Uh, Not a tornado, but it's the picture of a windstorm. And we saw this happen several months ago, I guess a couple years ago, when Job was confronted by the Lord out of the whirlwind in Job 38. So it's an indication of the presence of God. And he's being taken to heaven. Heaven, of course, is the place where God's people go after they die. In both the Old and the New Testaments, by the way, people go to heaven the same way. By faith, in relationship with God, through faith in God's promised Messiah, who came to pay our sin debt, of course, and reconcile our broken relationship with God. In the Old Testament, they exercised faith in a Messiah that was yet to come. Right? It was the promised Messiah. So they believed that God was going to send a Messiah to forgive their sins. In the New Testament, we believe in a Messiah that has already come. So we have the history to say we know he came because we have historical documents to demonstrate it. This is all takes place within the last probably 24 hours of Elijah's life. They are now located in Gilgal, which is about eight miles north of Jericho. Gilgal is mentioned about 35 times in Scripture, and it means to roll away. To roll away. Uh, Gilgal was the first place that Israel camped when they crossed the Jordan River. When they entered the land of Canaan from the wilderness, they came across the Jordan. This was the first campsite, Camp Gilgal. uh, And they entered in the Promised Land, and God said, I'm calling this Gilgal because I've rolled away the disgrace of your slavery in Egypt. I literally have removed the disgrace of your slavery in Egypt. It was also the place where Joshua circumcised the entire generation of males that had been in the wilderness for 40 years and had not been circumcised per terms of the Abrahamic covenant. So they had to rededicate themselves to the Lord at Gilgal. Gilgal was also the place where Joshua told the children of Israel, I want you to take 12 large stones and I want you to make a monument. A monument is a place of memory. It's a place of remembrance. And He said, I want you to make a monument so you can remember... God's faithfulness in bringing you out of Egypt, across the flooded Jordan River, and into the land. That's a good lesson for us. Monuments are not objects that we value in themselves. They remind us of something far more important. So this pile of stones was built so that when younger generations came along and said, Mom, Dad, Grandpa, Grandpa, what's that pile of stones there for? It's a huge pile. It's because of God's faithfulness in bringing us into the land. So, Gilgal represents the place of separation from the past, new beginnings and preparation for what God's going to do in the future. And Elijah says, the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. And we will see there's a school of prophets in in Bethel that God wants Elijah to visit. These schools of the prophets, I want you to think of them like a Bible college or a Bible school. Uh, Elijah's not sitting around on his last day on earth. By the way, he knows this is his last day. And he's not waiting for the chariot ride. He's working on the last day he's on earth. He's instructing the next generation. He's encouraging these young pastor prophets to trust and obey Yahweh. I would love to have heard what his last message was to them. They knew he was not going to be here. He knew he was not going to be here. Last words can be lasting words. You know, you and I are here today because someone cared enough to pass the baton of faith to us. Right? If they hadn't done that, you would not be here today. One of our primary jobs before we leave earth is to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. We need to be praying for them. We need to ask God to open their hearts. We need to ask God to teach us what to say. We need to ask God to teach us when to say it. And most importantly, when to shut up. I'm preaching to myself here. And when we just need to listen and love them. And when we need to understand that they're not going to respond to us, they're ultimately going to respond to the Holy Spirit. So Brad here has had to learn that you speak to the Lord a hundred times more frequently than you talk to them, face-to-face, right? Pray, 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 but pass the baton of faith as the Lord opens those doors. So Elijah's working till the day God tells him it's quitting time. That's a good model for us. You can retire from your earthly job. Nobody Christian retires from working in God's kingdom. You redeploy, you don't retire, you redeploy, which means you get another job description, you have another assignment. You're never without an assignment for King Jesus if you're breathing. If you're breathing, God has work for you to do. And Elijah is a good role model for that. Now he and Elisha walked to Bethel. Bethel was a holy place for Israel. Bethel means Bethel, house of God, house of God. It's located about 8 miles north of Jerusalem, 13 miles west of Gilgal, and it was the nexus for north-south roads and east-west roads. So it was a key location. Because Gilgal is about 850 feet below sea level down in the Jordan Valley. Bethel is probably nearly the highest point in Israel. It's about 2,900 feet. So they're walking uphill on the neighborhood of almost 4,000 feet you can bet Elisha and Elijah were in shape, right? They'd been walking and this was a a walk uphill. Remember, Bethel was the second place Abraham stopped when he came into Canaan uh, centuries earlier. He erected an altar to the Lord there and worshipped him. Bethel was the place where Jacob met the Lord. He was leaving Canaan and he was going to visit Rebekah's family in Haran. uh, And he had a dream of angels descending and ascending what? Jacob's ladder, we call that that day. He saw them going into heaven and he was dreaming. And when he awoke, he said, Surely God was in this place and what? I did not know it. And we heard that a little bit this morning, didn't we? Surely God is in this place. He's with us all the time. Most of the time, we're not aware of that. So, Jacob, when he realized that, he built an altar, dedicated himself at that point to complete dependence on the Lord. And remember, later on in Bethel was the place where God changed his name. His name was Jacob, which means deceiver. How would you like to have that for a name? Supplanter or deceiver, that's what Jacob literally means. I don't know what Jake means, but anyway, that's what Jacob means. And the name Israel means he who wrestles with God, right? And prevails. So Bethel was a place where the presence of God came, and a renewed commitment to Yahweh. So these locations have meaning. They're not just random Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho. They have spiritual meaning for Elijah and for us to pay attention to. Verse 3. Then the sons of the prophet who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. Elijah said to him, Elisha... Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Here's the principle. When you say yes to following God, you must say no to everything that hinders you from following Him. When you say yes to following God, you must say no to everything that hinders you from following Him. See, God is not interested in your partial commitment. He says what? You shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart, with the convenient part of your heart, with the part that's not ADD right now. No, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So they go to this location, Bethel, and there's, quote, schools for the sons of the prophets. These were prophets in training, pastor teachers, uh, Samuel was actually the prophet that had begun the schools of the prophets, these Bible schools, if you will, where younger prophets and and quote spiritual leaders in Israel could be mentored and trained. And the Lord has revealed to them that Elijah is going to heaven today, because you will see this three different times. And they said, Do you not know that the Lord's going to take away your master from over you today? Take away, by the way, we'll get into it in a second. It's the exact same term that was used to describe the Lord catching up Enoch without dying. Same term. And he said, uh, they said, from over you. This is literally means from supervising you. Do you not know that God's going to take your master, your supervisor, your mentor away from you today? Now, in that era, when you were a, a prophet or a spiritual leader, a teacher, a rabbi, you sat on a platform. And your students were below you, uh, on the floor below you. And their heads were below your feet. If you were sitting on a platform, the platform might be five or six feet, three or four feet tall. They were sitting and your feet were above their heads. So that's when they said, we're taking your master from over you. It was literally a physical term. They sat higher than their students at that point in time. And God has making it abundantly clear. Number one, I'm taking Elijah today. Everybody's going to know it. And number two, Elisha is God's choice to be the successor to Elijah. And Elisha says, yes, I know it, which means God's already revealed it to me. I'm conscious of that. You don't need to tell me you're not informing me. The Lord already has. Now we're going to see Elijah do something interesting. On three different occasions he says the same thing. He says, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to X. Please stay here. Right? What he's doing, he's not rebuking him. He is testing the resolve of Elisha. He's wanting to find out whether Elisha will stay with him to the very end or whether he'll opt out and not go the whole distance. And of course, Elisha swears three times he will never leave Elijah. Now, there's two or three reasons for that. One... He's obviously fond of Elijah. They've been ministering together for three years. Elijah is his father in the faith, if you will. But Elisha also knows that prophets, generally before they died, pronounced blessings on their followers before they departed. You remember that Jacob on his deathbed blessed all of his sons. When you read some of those blessings, you go, whoa, some of those things were pretty serious, pretty sobering at that point. So Elisha is aware of this tradition. He did not want to miss out on God's blessing for his life and ministry that he felt Elijah would would, would predict on him. It reminds us of Ruth. Remember, Ruth is traveling north with Naomi, or going to travel north with Naomi back to the land, and Naomi does her best to talk Ruth out of it. She says, stay here in Moab and marry somebody. Don't come with me back to Judah. I mean, it's poverty-stricken. And what does Ruth say? I will never leave you where you go. I will go where you lodge. I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Ruth understood that her spiritual blessing depended on her relationship with Naomi. Elisha was like Jacob at Bethel. Jacob had a wrestling match with God, with a pre-incarnate Christ, probably, the angel of the Lord. And they wrestled all night spiritually. It's a metaphor of prayer prevailing prayer, and the Lord said, let me go, it was almost daylight, and Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He was tenacious about wanting God's blessing, and he hung on in prayer until he got the blessing. Elisha wants God's blessing through Elijah and he is not going to turn back from following Elijah until he receives what he he craves. There's an old song that says what? I have decided to follow Jesus. What's the next phrase? No turning back. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.13, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward, grasping forward to what lies ahead, what? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. By the way, that word press on is is an agonizing runner headed for the end of a race, running through pain, hit the wall of pain, and pressing through that wall to accomplish the prize of finishing the race. And Paul is talking about the single-minded focus of pursuing Christ above all else and only Christ. And that's what Elisha is demonstrating for us is that single-minded focus on wanting the Lord and His blessing. So they're now walking to Jericho. Jericho lies in the Jordan River Valley. Jericho is about eight miles north of the Dead Sea. It's 15 miles east of Jerusalem, and it's about 14 miles southeast of Bethel. And you can obviously do the math here and go, these people are doing some walking today. Yeah, they are doing some walking today. This is more than 10,000 steps, for those of you that are counting, right? I mean, and this is not walking on a sidewalk or in a shopping mall with AC. I mean, they're, they're getting with this program at this point in time. Jericho is 900 feet below sea level. It's the lowest city in the world. It's also one of the, most, the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. We have records back. Uh, close to 8,000 years of history. So this is a long-standing city. By the way, the name Jericho means city of palms. For those of you who have been there, they do grow a fair amount of palms. So Jericho, what's the spiritual significance of them going to Jericho other than that there's a school of the prophets there? Well, Jericho was the very first city that Israel conquered after they entered into the Promised Land. They came across the river, camped at Gilgal, and from there they attacked Jericho. As you recall, Rahab, the prostitute, lived in Jericho. She trusted the God of Israel. She assisted the Israelite spies. She was saved when Jericho fell, and she married an Israelite man named Salmon, and their descendants through Boaz led to Jesse, led to King David, led to the lineage of Christ. So a very significant woman coming out of a pagan environment that the Lord has used in marvelous, marvelous ways as an object and an example of his grace to us. As you recall, God commanded Israel, commanded Joshua, to tell the children of Israel to march around the city for six days. Highly useful, right? You're the general. What are you going to do? Well, just march around. Don't say anything. Be quiet. Just march. On the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. And when the priests blow the trumpets, you're going to shout, and what? The double walls, there's two sets of walls, are going to fall down right beneath themselves. They're not going to tip out. They're not going to tip in. They're just going to fall beneath themselves and Israel's going to go in and conquer the city. So Jericho represents for Israel the power of God to overcome enemies, to overcome obstacles, and give them victory in their battles. But Jericho also reminds Israel of the tragedy of sin and disobedience. Remember that a man named Achan got a little greedy, quite a lot greedy, and he stole some things from the city that God had said, everything from Jericho gets dedicated to the temple. I gave you this victory, all the spoils come into the temple to assist in the worship, and Achan stole some of those things himself, and God withheld his blessing. They were defeated at the next city of Ai, and only when the sin of Achan had been dealt with, would God's blessing return. Interesting lesson for us is, Scripture says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Which means if you have known sin in your life, the only thing God wants to hear from you is confession of that sin. Don't go talking to God about what you want Him to do and how you'd like Him to do this. If there's known sin, begin with confession. You know this, your children come in or your grandchildren come in and they sweet talk you. Oh, grandpa, grandma, and you know good and well what they just did. I'm not interested in being sweet to you. I want you to confess your sin. We need to get this right, right? I just saw what you did to your little sister. I mean, you understand. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. If we have known sin, confess that, and then the power and the blessing of God comes upon us, our lives, our families, and our churches, and our nation, right? Verse 5. The sons of the prophet who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. And Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Here's the principle. God's power is always available to his people when they are doing his work. God's power is always available to his people when they are doing his work. It's interesting the repetition you see in this passage. This is the second time sons of the prophets say, do you not know that yada, 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 right? It happens three times. And three times Elisha says the exact same thing. And three times Elijah says, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And three times Elisha says, I will not leave you. When God repeats something in Scripture, he is not stuttering. He is saying it because it's important for us to pay attention to. Right? It's extraordinarily clear that God is revealing to everybody, this is Elijah's last day on earth. Surprise, surprise. Everything in the universe, everyone in the universe, including you and I, has an expiration date. By the way, the physical universe itself has an expiration date. Revelation tells us that. Peter tells us that. This is the third time that Elisha tells Elijah, Elisha, Elijah tells Elijah, the Lord has sent me first to Bethel, then to Jericho, now to the Jordan. Elijah is busy doing God's work until it's time to go home, and Elisha is loyal to his. Mentor until the very end. He's finishing what God called him to do. Jordan River is the eastern boundary of the land of Canaan. The name Jordan in Hebrew means to descend. To descend. The waters of the Jordan River originate in Mount Hermon, which is about 9,000 feet in elevation, right in the corner of modern-day Lebanon. And they descend all the way to the Dead Sea, which is 1,392 feet below sea level, the lowest place on planet Earth. So the Jordan River winds a little bit. The total length is about 125 miles long. And when Israel prepared to enter the promised land under Joshua, when they came to the obstacle the Jordan River, and it was at flood stage, right? Snow melt in the uh, Mount Hermon works its way down, obviously. And Israel was able to cross on dry ground because God said, When you have the priests who are carrying the ark, put their foot in the water, I'll stop the water. Lots of interesting conversations about that happened, whether there was a landslide 30 miles upstream, in which case the timing of this had to be divinely arranged as well. So when they crossed across dry land, number one, it was a revelation to the power of God. Number two, it was the end of their pilgrimage. It was the end of their wilderness wanderings. It was the end of their... Egyptian uh, sojourn at that point in time. So crossing the Jordan represented Israel claiming the inheritance that God had promised to them. Now God had told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, this land is your land, right? That was not original to whoever wrote it here. This land is your land. This land is my land. No, this land is your land. God promised Abraham that, Isaac and Jacob at that point. Here's the point. Being promised an inheritance is meaningless if you don't claim it. You actually have to show up and claim it. When you read the promises of God as to what the Lord has laid up for those who trust Him, it is beyond our comprehension. But we have to claim it. We claim it by faith because God promised it. Therefore, we act in light of those promises and claim that inheritance that God has given us through Christ. Now, Elijah is going to give Elisha a third opportunity to leave. Here's a side door, right? He's going to give him a third time to choose comfort over commitment, and Elisha demonstrates his single-minded focus. I want God's blessing. I'm not leaving you at that point in time. It's interesting that Scripture says there are 50 men of the sons of the prophets. The message here is these Bible schools are not small affairs. He's just talking about one group here from one of these schools. There's 50 50 men of the prophets. They're large and extensive. Elijah, since he left Mount Sinai, has been busy setting up and training the next generation of Bible teachers, prophets, pastors, rabbis, leaders in Israel at that point in time. And 50 of these folks decide they're going to follow Elijah and Elisha at a distance and kind of see what's going to happen because they know he's going to die today. They're not sure how this is going to occur. And Elijah, they come to the Jordan River. He takes off his mantle, which is his cloak. It's usually made out of sheepskin. A mantle on a prophet represented the authority that God had given them for that office. God literally clothed his prophets with power in the same way that this cloak covered them. And it says he took off his mantle, folded it up, and struck the waters of the Jordan River, and they parted. Kind of reminds us of Moses with the Red Sea, and he, God says, stretch out your rod over the Red Sea, and what? The Red Sea would part. Same picture here, parting the Red Sea. God always provides what his people need in order to do what he's told them to do. You know, God has probably spoken to many of you in this room and said, here's what I want you to do, and you are saying, rationally, I have no idea how this is going to happen. I just don't see it. There's no way that I see that could possibly happen. That's a pretty good indicator that it's God speaking. Right? There's an old song, God will make a way when there seems to be no way because he's God of the impossible, because he's God. He's not limited by the things of this life. I don't know whether it's a disease you're dealing with, or whether it's family relationships, whether it's finances, whether it's just getting
1: old.
0: Whatever it is, whatever you're battling, it's not limiting God in the slightest, and there's nothing in our life that surprises him. He's arranged all this from eternity past. He knows. He knows. And his plan is a good plan. And he's providing. I would not have said, um, you guys want to get across the Jordan? I would have said, well, get a boat, you know. Uh, can you go upstream, there's a shallow spot, maybe you can swim across, or maybe you should take swimming lessons at the local Y and learn how to swim across this thing. I wouldn't have said, take your mantle off, hit the water, and God will part it. But that's what the Holy Spirit told him to do. Sometimes God's going to tell you to do stuff that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have to make sense to you, it makes sense to him. He's the one who's telling you to do it, right? Verse 9. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, very interesting question. Quote, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So, And as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them, and Elijah went by a whirlwind to heaven. Here's the principle. Whatever you ask God for, always ask for Him first. Whatever you ask God for, always ask for Him first. Elijah asks Elisha a very open-ended question. What do you want me to do? How would you answer that question? What do you want more than anything else? It's interesting that Elisha has a ready answer for Elijah. Then think about it. He doesn't ask for fame, fortune, power, possessions, prestige. He wants more of the Holy Spirit's power and presence in his life. Matter of fact, Elisha felt so inadequate to do the job that God called him to do, he said, I need a double portion of the Spirit that empowers you because I am so inadequate in myself. He understood that without the Spirit's power and presence and guidance, he could not fulfill his assignment. So the reality is, and this is sorrowful, if the Holy Spirit departed earth today, most churches would not even know he left because what they do now doesn't require His presence anyway. When you look at the first century church, 95% of what they did required the director dimension of the Holy Spirit. When you look at the church today around the world, the vast majority of what we do, especially in the developed world, doesn't require the Holy Spirit at all. We've got our organization and our lights and our electric light shows and all the other stuff, you know, right? St. Thomas Aquinas the great medieval scholar, once called on Pope Innocent II when the Pope was counting out a large sum of money. And the Pope commented, You see, the church is no longer in that age in which she said, Silver and gold have I none. St. Thomas replied, True, Holy Father, but neither can she say any longer to the lame, Rise up and walk. Above all else, whatever you ask God for, always ask for Him first. There is nothing you can ask God for that is more valuable than a deeper relationship with Him. Until you have that, we will not understand what we should be asking for in the first place. Because we'll be asking for what? what our flesh thinks we want. Comfort, I mean, fill in the blanks. It's not that comfort's a bad thing, but we do not have because we do not ask, and we ask and do not receive because we ask with selfish motives most of the time. God is the great prize. God is the great treasure. Andrew talked about it this morning. There is nothing more valuable you can ask God for than more of Him, and that's what Elisha did. Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who is against us? You want to know how much God loves you? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us what? All things. He knows what we need. He gave us His Son. He withheld nothing. He asks you for your heart. All of it. There's an old hymn tune. Jesu meine Freude is the German. Jesus' priceless treasure, source of purest pleasure, truest friend to me. Extraordinarily well said. Elisha asked for a double portion of your spirit. Literally, quote, according to two shares. Now what this means is the firstborn son in any family was the father's heir and successor. And they received a double portion of the inheritance. If You had three children, the oldest son didn't get a third, they got twice that. Because their job description, by the way, was to take care of their elderly parents. So if you got a double portion, it wasn't to spend it on yourself. You had responsibilities to care for your elderly parents. That's why you got it. So Elisha's saying, I want a double portion. I want to be recognized as your spiritual heir, your spiritual son. I want to carry on your ministry. By the way, God had called Elisha to that 10 years earlier. So he's saying, Lord, you've called me to this job description. I need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to carry that out. And God gave that to him. Elijah performed eight miracles through the power of God, and God performed 16 miracles through Elisha, exactly double. Interesting. Elijah suffered through a -a three-and-a-half-year drought, and we're going to find out in a few weeks that Elisha had to cope with a seven-year drought, exactly double. So sometimes you get double the blessings and double the trouble. All right. Elijah said, it's a hard thing you've asked. Well, yes, it's not his to give. Only God can give the Holy Spirit. But he says, if you see me when I depart, it's going to be a sign that God's going to grant your request. And we get this infinitely uh, wonderful word picture of chariot of fire and horses of fire. We have a lot of songs like this, you know. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing that chariot, stop bad. Let me ride, down. yeah, that one, right? <laughs> Most of you are old enough; you probably saw chariots of fire back in the day. Right, right. So it seems that Elijah received an angelic escort into heaven. In that era, horse-drawn chariot was the fastest means of transport in the world, about 45 miles an hour. It was also the strongest military weapon of the day. A chariot, a horse-drawn chariot, was literally a mobile archery platform. Kind of the tank of the day. Uh, artillery on wheels. What it says is that the horses and chariots of fire represented God's supernatural power and protection for his people. And it says he went by a whirlwind. We have this word picture that he went in the chariot. You know, he got in the chariot and they pulled him up to heaven. No, he was accompanied by the chariot. He went by the whirlwind. It may be that the whirlwind appeared like fiery horses and chariots, but the whirlwind is what took him to heaven. And there's only two people that have had that happen thus far. Enoch and Elisha were transported to heaven without experiencing physical death. Genesis 5.24 said, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Now, death is the result of human sin, which separates people from God. And when death occurs, we know the spirit goes to be with God, and the body is separated from that which remains here on the ground. However, the Bible teaches that both Enoch and and Elijah were taken bodily to heaven. Their body did not stay here on earth. They're two examples of what in the New Testament we commonly refer to as the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Then we who are alive, all Christians that are alive at the second coming of Christ, will be harpazod, caught up, literally, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. That word harpazo means carried away, caught up, snatched up, transported. You're physically going to be transported to be with the Lord in the air if you're physically alive at his return. And it's the destiny of all believers that are alive at that time. Now, here's the good and bad news. Your physical body currently is not going to survive that trip. So God is going to arrange for you the resurrection body that will survive that trip and the new location. 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Heaven's imperishable, this body is perishable, can't survive in that environment. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. If you want the full picture, read 1 Corinthians 15, great resurrection chapter. Everybody receives a resurrection body. It's designed to live forever. And there's only two locations. Believers get a resurrection body that's designed to live forever in heaven, and unbelievers get a resurrection body that's designed to live forever in hell. Because this body is designed to live on earth. It's terrestrial. It is not heavenly. We're going to get a body that is designed to live forever in that environment. And scripture says that's going to happen in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. It's interesting that the horses and chariots are made of fire. Fire is often associated with God's presence, which clearly is indicated here. You have the burning bush with Moses, right? You have the pillar of fire leading Israel in the wilderness. You've got God's fire on top of Mount Sinai. You've got God's fire which lit the altar in the tabernacle and temple when they dedicated them. Interesting that Elijah's trademark is also fire. Fire came down on Mount Carmel, consumed the offering. We skip chapter 1. If you want to go back to chapter 1, the king Ahaziah sends a couple of uh, contingents, a couple of platoons of soldiers to capture him, and, God's, and Elijah says, if I'm a prophet of God, let fire come down from heaven, which it does consumed both of them at that point. Revelation 11 describes two witnesses thought to be Moses and Elijah by many conservative scholars. It says these two witnesses are going to prophesy on God's behalf in the great tribulation, and if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth and consumes the enemy. So Elijah is affiliated with fire, and fire is clearly representative of the power of the Holy Spirit. When this occurs, verse 12, Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the waters, they were divided here and there. And Elisha crossed over. Here's the principle. God's servants will pass away, but God's work prevails because it depends on his spirit, not on his servants. God's servants will pass away, but God's work prevails because it depends on his spirit, not his servants. Elisha has been Elisha's spiritual father. He says, my father, my father. Elijah was the most powerful tool that God had used during this period of time to preserve and protect the worship of Yahweh. He was more powerful than horses and chariots. He was literally a one-man spiritual army. And he embodied the Holy Spirit's power against the evils of idolatry. Elisha tears his clothes. That's a a symbol of, of deep grief and sorrow. Elisha now has to go on without his mentor. Without his partner, without his best friend. A very wise man named Milt Cole once told me that aging is the process of coping with losses. Most of us in the room are doing that. Aging is the process of coping with losses. We all experience losses, right? Loss of health, loss of people we love. Uh, Elijah and Elisha are now separated until Elisha dies and goes to heaven. Sometimes we experience physical loss when people move away. You know They follow their children who they hope will take care of them when they get old and decrepit. Uh, Sometimes we just move in different directions. You have friends for a period of time and they move one way and you move another way and you lose touch with them. Sometimes we are separated from people we love when they die and they move on. They move to heaven and we're here. And God deals with that by promising, in Hebrews 13.5, I... Will never desert you. I will never forsake you. Part of spiritual maturity is learning to lean on Jesus more than you depend on people. When you have a problem, the first person to talk to is not your BFF, unless his name is Jesus. The first person to talk to is always the Lord. People will fail you. Surprise, surprise. You will fail yourself. But Jesus never fails. Now this mantle is this sheepskin cloak that fell from Elijah before he went to heaven. And remember that he had thrown that over Elijah, or Elisha, to call him to the prophetic office in the first place. So the transfer of the mantle is clearly a sign of the transfer of the prophetic calling. And Elisha instantly knew uh, that God had called him to be a successor. He picks up the mantle, he strikes the water, he steps out in faith, God opens the water, he walks across to the other side. When he says, where is the God of Elijah? He says, I want to see God's power demonstrated just like it had been done through Elijah. Verse 15. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. They said to him, quote, behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him and cast him up on some mountain or into some valley. And he said you shall not sin. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, send. So they sent 50 men, therefore, and they searched for three days, but they did not find him. They returned him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Here's the principle. It's really in the first verse. No one has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit wants to have a monopoly on us. No one has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit wants to have a monopoly on us. These servants, they bowed in submission and respect. It was clear that the Holy Spirit rested on Elisha, just as it had on Elisha. I mean, they'd obviously seen him part the waters, but when they looked at him, it was clear that he was filled with the Spirit. Now, a monopoly, many of you have played the game. A monopoly is something that is owned exclusively. It is something that is not shared. It is something that is soul or single. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Every believer. So no one has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. You don't have an exclusive on the Holy Spirit. He is, lives in every follower of Jesus. No one has restricted access or unrestricted. No one has sole access to the Holy Spirit. Every believer has access to the Holy Spirit. However, Far fewer believers hunger after God to the point where their overwhelming desire is to be guided, directed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. They may have the Spirit, they just don't want to be controlled by the Spirit. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, always you will see, and they were filled with the Spirit, and then you saw these miracles break out, which means they were controlled and directed by the Holy Spirit because there was no room in their heart for anything but the Spirit. The truth of it is, most Christians' hearts are not set aside exclusively for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's only one of many things we desire, right? We, you heard it this morning. What is your first love? Which means you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, not some of your heart. God is not one of many things you crave, He should be the thing you crave above all else above all else. Both Elijah and Elisha were monopolized by the Holy Spirit in the sense that they wanted him more than anything, and that's why they received him, because they dedicated all of themselves to him. By the way, you cannot get more of God than you already have. He already gave you everything. The question is not, how much of him do you have? The question is, how much of you does he have? I guarantee you, no one here is 100% ever, but that's why we come every day, we surrender. We come and we say, Lord Jesus, today is your day, it's a gift, I cannot carry out today your job description for this day without your power, without your guidance, without your leading. If you get out of bed and you live an hour without prayer, you have basically said, you know, I, I got this handled. Well, I've got friends that have tried to crawl out of bed and their inner ear went crazy and they were on the floor throwing up. How much have you got it handled? You only have it handled because the Lord gives you the grace, whether you ask for it or not, to get out of bed to get in the shower for heaven's sake, right? We don't ever have anything under control. So when we look at the power in Elijah and Elisha's life, it's the same spirit as you have. There's no change. His power has not changed. It's they gave themselves completely to the Lord, and that's why he accomplished through them what he did. It's not more of the Lord. It's all of us. Amen? Amen? Go and do likewise. Let's summarize. Number one. You never quit working in God's kingdom until he says, come home, it's quitting time. This culture is forever deceiving people into taking the easy route and stopping working in God's kingdom because they think running around in a motorhome five years, not that that's wrong, but if you're doing it for selfish reasons, it's not purposeful for God's kingdom. Whatever it happens to be. You can, whatever you do, I don't care what it is. There's no holy activities. It's the motive by which you go. If God calls you to a motorhome for five years because he has a ministry for you in that motorhome, then by gum, you go do that because that's what's God calling you to do. Right? That's his purpose. Number two, when you say yes to following God, you must say no to everything that hinders you from following him. When you're married to a spouse, guess what? You say no to what? Everybody else. Right? At least I hope you do. Right? God's power is always available to his people. What? When they're doing his work. You can't be in sin and say God bless my sin. Ah, uh, he doesn't do that. He will never let his children sin successfully. Whatever you ask God for, always ask for him first. This is part of that heartbeat that we heard about this morning. Love the Lord your God. He should be your first love. Always ask for him first before you ask for him for all the stuff. God's servants will pass away, but God's work prevails because it depends on his spirit, not on his servants. Many of us think we're indispensable. <laughs> you have no idea how fast people are going to forget you ever lived. I'm, I'm just, I love you guys, but I'm telling you, when I'm in the ground, within six months, there's going to be a handful of people that remember I lived. I'm not even saying they're gonna like the memories, but it's just reality. Most of us will have dementia anyway. We won't even know we lived. I mean, <laughs> so God's work is going to be accomplished because of His Spirit. Now, here's the really good news when you get to heaven, God remembers everything. Which is great, right? I mean, you'll remember your friends in heaven far better than you remember them here. You'll know them in heaven far better than you know them here. We're going to get a significant upgrade, which is really a blessing, right? Boy. Lastly, no one has a monopoly in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit wants to have a monopoly on us. He wants all our hearts, our first love, He wants to work through us. He wants to bless us. He wants to use us. He wants to accomplish His purposes. Okay, this has been an extraordinarily interesting lesson. I encourage you to read it and reread it. Lord willing, we'll be here uh, next week to carry on uh, in 2 Kings. I love you all. Now that you know, do